0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My name is Ben, I'm one of the co-pastors here at the table. Is anyone else confused by today's gospel passage? It's kind of a weird parable, isn't it? There's a lot of weird elements in this uh, passage that make it very less than straightforward. Jesus tells his disciples essentially to imitate a dishonest manager, but then ends it by saying, you can't serve both God and wealth. The word there is mammon. So what is going on in the, what in the world is going on? I've often wondered that about this passage. Uh, This is the penultimate week of our um, Lenten series. I love the the combination of groaning and uh, laughter when I say penultimate, inside joke, it's one of my favorite words, and I'm really glad that I get to preach today because this is the penultimate week of our Lenten series. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah, and that was the penultimate time that I say that word, yeah, so. Yes. Uh, we've, been in this, <laughs> we've been in this series uh, confronting mammon with Jesus, and this parable is doing the work that parables do, the, the work that parables should do for us. They're not fables. They're not little moral lessons. Parables are meant to disorient us. They're meant to dislodge us from our assumptions about how the world works, how God's kingdom works. So there is indeed good news for us today in this text. Over the course of this series, we've, many of us have felt a lot of discomfort as we have uh, learned about mammon, as we've learned about our entanglement with mammon, <clears throat> our inability to Uh, fully sort of uh, extricate ourselves from the power of mammon and we've looked for a way out of this tension, I think this is a normal thing for us Westerners to do, we we like to fix problems, we like to, you know, oh that's a problem, let's apply some technology or some resources and let's solve it, right? We want a way out (coughs) of the feeling of tension that we have, some way to remove ourselves from the system, some way of washing our hands of it entirely. Uh, But this system is so pervasive, um, you know, there's so much coordinated energy and money being poured into maintaining this horrific status quo that it's easy to despair when you learn about how this all works and the vested interests that our society has in maintaining it. We can't unsee these things, but what do we do is the tension, is the feeling that a lot of us have. The truth is we cannot extricate ourselves entirely from the ungodly power of Mammon. But this doesn't mean that we have to pretend that Mammon is fine. We don't and we call evil good. Rather, and this is our good news for today, in the midst of this tension we feel, our Lord Jesus gives us freedom to experiment with dirty hands in the upside-down economy of God's kingdom, using dishonest wealth To make friends with those that mammon has marginalized and oppressed, trusting that eventually Jesus will come to dismantle mammon completely, judging and renewing all things in love. So, let's take a look at the parable. Uh, Part of why we're confused uh, about this parable is that we often think we're looking for representation in the parable. Who's God in this parable? And some parables work that way, but that's not how this parable works. The parable has two characters, a master who's a wealthy man and a manager. In Roman society, a manager was somebody who had access to their master's wealth and acted as the master's agent in business dealings. And so to be a manager was actually to have an enviable status in a society where almost everyone was struggling to survive under the weight of an oppressive taxation system. Almost everybody was a subsistence farmer, a peasant who was trying to keep enough for themselves while also having this oppressive taxation system that they had to give to maintain the Roman garrisons and and the governing uh, elite. And so power and privilege in this society were highly concentrated right at the very tippy top. And so being a manager of a wealthy person's estate was a way out of poverty for people who didn't have a lot of options. But we find out right away in this parable that he's about to get fired <laughs> because he's been squandering his master's property. So this is a huge crisis because the manager is going to forfeit his social status as well as the roof over his head, and he's going to have to go back to manual labor or maybe even begging, and he just thinks this is not a good situation for me. And so he, he has this little soliloquy. What should I do? I don't, want to, I don't want to beg, and I don't want to go back to manual labor. I'm not strong enough for it. And uh, we find out that he settles on this idea that is going to result in him being welcomed into people's homes, so at least he'll have a place to stay. And his idea is this, he is going, while he still has the authority to do so, he decides to reduce the massive debts that several people owe his master. He just changes the numbers. He just erases the debt, some of it. He just... He just he just erases it and says, okay, sit down and do this. Why does he do that? Well, he, does, he says why he does it. He does it explicitly so that he'll be welcomed into their homes after he loses his job. And so using money in this way was a, it was a really normal thing in Roman society. Um, making friends or associates uh, was a normal thing for people to do. Um, And so when, when you did this, it was a way of establishing and maintaining or solidifying these solidarities, these alliances, these associations, in a society that was very highly stratified. So it was a way to get ahead, essentially. It was a game people played to try to, you know, gain status and gain honor. And so one could be a greater friend, which means I have more resources than you and I've given you some of my resources and in return, you will give me honor, you will give me status, you will praise me, you will tell everybody what a great person I am. Or I could be a lesser friend and that would be the other side of that equation where I receive some money from you and in return I praise you and I honor you and I give you status and my hope is that I can use that as leverage to gain my own status. Or you could be equal friends which is two people with similar amounts of resources who have decided to enter into some sort of formal solidarity with each other. So it was a very normal thing to do. And in the story, the master commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for his cleverness. Right? I imagine imagine the master sitting in a smoke-filled room, smoking a cigar. This is how I imagine him. And uh, he he learns learns what he did. He was like, hmm. It's a smart move, well played, but you're still fired. <laughs> but he recognizes, like game recognizes game is kind of the, the feel here, right? He's like, yeah, clever move, well done. And then Jesus begins to comment on the story. Up until this point, it's been the story, this first part of verse uh, eight. And then this, the Jesus comments on the story in uh, the second part of verse eight. And he says this, the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. In other words, people who belong to this age understand how the world works, and they use it for their benefit. But the people who belong to the age to come, the children of light, they don't use the same cleverness to invest in the same system. The the, the children of light aren't as clever in taking the principles of the age to come and making these kinds of shrewd investments. So the age here, this this age, is this the idea that there's an epoch, uh, a, a time period, uh, a uh, a realm where there is, and this Jesus has said this before in the gospel. It's characterized by wickedness. It's characterized by faithlessness. This is the rule of Mammon, and inside of this system, the rule of Mammon, the dishonest manager makes a shrewd move, and Jesus is basically saying. The analogy then for the children of light who belong to the age to come is we should make shrewd moves, but not based on the logic of mammon, but based on the logic of God's kingdom. Act wisely according to the logic of the age to come. And so then Jesus spells out exactly, very helpfully, thank you Jesus, uh, the point. He said, here's the point. Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it the wealth, is gone, they, your new friends, may welcome you into the eternal homes, which is the, situ- the housing situation of the age to come. Where's everybody going to live in the age to come? Well, eternal homes. I don't know. We don't really know what it looks like. But Jesus is recommending to his disciples, you guys want to make a good investment for the future? Make friends with the people who are going to have charge over the homes in the age to come. Who are those people? Let's think about the parable. The parable, in the parable, the dishonest manager gives money to who? People who are impoverished. People who are in massive amounts of debt. Poor people. And we also know that this is what Jesus is talking about because of his earlier teaching in Luke's gospel. He always tells people, give without expectation of return. You'll be be rewarded in the age to come. Give specifically to those who cannot repay you, i.e., the poor. Give to those that mammon has marginalized and oppressed, the ones who are last in this society, but who will be first in God's kingdom. The great reversal. Why? Well, because mammon is going to vanish. This system cannot last. The age to come is on its way, but by giving to the poor, you will have secured eternal treasure, treasure in the age to come, giving what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Smart, shrewd, clever. That would be a clever move. That would be a smart move for the children of light to invest in the kingdom to come, the age to come. Now normally this kind of action, there's a lot of complications here, and you can listen to the class uh, that we had earlier this morning uh, to find out about some of those things, but normally this kind of action creates a patron-client relationship where the poor person is now indebted to serve and honor the person who provided for them, but this is undercut by Jesus' constant insistence in Luke's gospel that we give freely, no strings attached, trusting that we'll be repaid in the age to come. So giving to the poor in this way doesn't create greater and lesser friends. It creates equal friends among rich and poor. It creates solidarity in this age and eternal dwellings in the age to come. So that when the age to come arrives, when God's kingdom comes in its fullness and the first are last and the last are first and the rulers are knocked off their thrones and the humble and meek are lifted up and the hungry are filled with good things, and the rich are sent away empty, well, you're probably going to want a poor person to put in a good word for you. In other words, Jesus is saying, you want to make some good investments for the future? Do you, want to get in t- Do you want to get in with the right people when the age to come arrives? Well, take your wealth and use it to cancel debts for the poor. Throw parties for people who can't repay you. Give special honor to those that mammon has deemed unimportant. Because if they put in a good word for you in the age to come, you might just get into heaven. I'm being cheeky, but only a little. This is what Jesus says to us. That's how we make smart, shrewd investments for the age to come. This is how we are faithful with the very little of dishonest wealth. Rather than try to remove ourselves entirely from the system... We simply seek to use the resources that we have in this present age with an eye toward the age to come. Practices that create solidarity across social lines and will last into the age to come. So although, friends, we cannot extricate ourselves entirely from the ungodly power of mammon, our Lord Jesus gives us permission, freedom, to experiment with our dirty hands in the upside-down economy of God's kingdom using dishonest wealth to make friends with those that mammon has marginalized and oppressed, trusting that Jesus will come to end mammon's rule and to judge and renew all things in love. So how do we respond to this? Let's respond to this word today by committing ourselves to stay uncomfortable in the tension of not being able to remove ourselves from this system. Our Old Testament reading in Jeremiah, Jeremiah told his people who were in exile in Babylon, don't stake everything on getting out of here, making a clean break with Babylon. Instead, build houses, plant gardens, settle down, multiply, even in this place of exile. I think this is an example of the kind of hope-filled, joyful experimentation, even in the midst of exile, that we can imitate because living under Mammon's rule is a kind of exile. Let's also commit to experimenting with using dishonest wealth to make friends with the marginalized and the oppressed. In our Acts reading, we heard one way that the early church experimented with God's economy. No one claimed private ownership of anything, but held everything in common. There was not a needy person among them, it says. Now, this is not necessarily how things should always be, but it's a faithful example to us of experimenting of playing joyfully in kingdom economics, resisting mammon, storing up treasure for the age to come. So as we do this, friends, the good news here is that we don't have to remove ourselves and we don't have to pretend that mammon's okay. We can play, playfully experiment in this present age with disrupting mammon from within mammon. So let's ask God for creativity and joy and playfulness in our resistance to mammon. We can't escape it, but we can resist it. And we can refuse to become comfortable with mammon. We can refuse to fall asleep under its spell. We can also refuse the despair that threatens to overwhelm us when we see what we're up against. We can choose joyfully to stay uncomfortable with mammon's rule and practice imperfect resistance. Because we know that the rule of mammon cannot last. Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead, as we just proclaimed in the Apostles' Creed. Jesus will reveal all the backroom deals and all the unjust laws and the fear that lies underneath it all. Everything is going to be brought into the light. And he will judge and renew all things in love. He will bring healing to everything. In the meantime, we play and we pray. We play by experimenting in the upside-down economy of God's kingdom, of the age to come. So let's organize listening sessions. Let's learn from one another. Let's talk about this in our table groups. What are the ideas? What's coming to the surface for us? What are the ways that this becomes problematic? What are our kairoses about all of this? And let's pray by crying out for the kingdom of God to come in its fullness when Jesus will ultimately end the rule of mammon. And part of the way that we participate in Jesus' victory over mammon is by praying together in the way that our Lord taught us, which we'll do as we come to this table. Beloved, Jesus gives us freedom to experiment with dirty hands in the upside-down economy of God's kingdom, using dishonest wealth to make friends with those that mammon has marginalized and oppressed, trusting that Jesus will come to dismantle mammon completely, judging and renewing all things in love and welcome us all into eternal dwellings. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.